Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Um, We're excited to be back with you. We did take a few weeks off. We transitioned our studio and some other things like that, so we we took a little tiny summer break, but we are back in full swing again. Happy to be here with you. Um, Today's show is another exceptional show. Um, and I'm sure you will agree as we get into it. The show today is going to focus on a new documentary. Um, It launched, I believe, last night on Netflix. Um, It is called Stay on Board, the Leo Baker story. Um, It is the story of um, Leo Baker, who is a renowned skateboarding championship or champion, my son Jesse um, is a skateboarder, and even he knew who Leo Baker was. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, Leo was headed to the 2020 Olympics, um, and this is uh, kind of a central point of the documentary. When um, and it was actually a time when, for the Olympics, had not had skateboarding as an event. So it was a brand new thing for the Olympics to be focusing on skateboarding, and um, Leo was headed as, as one of the champions and stars uh, of, of um, the potential Olympic competition. But um, as he was on his way in the process to getting there, he had to grapple with a life-changing decision, um, and that was his transition. He had the choice of he could be himself and then drop out of the Olympics, or he could compete under his dead identity and participate but not be his own authentic self. Um, And the the documentary chronicles that decision, his life, um, and his experience. And it is deep and personal and moving. Um, so definitely, definitely you need to check that out. Today, we get to talk to the director of the film, Nicola Marsh, and Alex Schimmer, uh, Schmeider, I'm sorry, is on board as well, and he is the executive producer. Um, they both have really strong credentials in terms of producing these kind of intimate, deep, delving works. Um, Nicola is... Um, comes from a long background of cinematography, and um, her projects generally have that kind of intimate feel to them. Um, She's done some reality television show, which is where you're not even supposed to be aware they're being filmed, that it just feels like you're eavesdropping in on their their lives on a deep level. And that definitely comes through um, in Stay On Board. Um, Alex produced um, another film that um, has appeared on streaming. It's appeared on Hulu called Changing the Game. Um, that documentary is really poignant as well in terms of the transgender experience in sports, completely relevant to a lot of the things that are going on today. 
So we have them in the wings. They're going to be on in just a moment, and we're going to talk about this further. Um, before that, I do want to bring on Brody Levesque. Brody is the executive editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Um, this is the news magazine that is actually it's breaking all records um, for a news publication, but it's the one that you want to have on if you want to see the latest breaking LGBTQ news that is going on. So welcome to the show, Brody. Hey, Rob. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to all of the listeners that uh, subscribe or listen to uh, this podcast. We appreciate it very much. Um, I need uh, a couple of things in housekeeping. First, to kick off, uh, KTLA and Project Angel Food will be having the third annual uh, Lead with Love Telethon on Saturday in Los Angeles. Um, so I'm just doing a little pitch for my friends over at KTLA and for Richard Ayub at Project Angel Food. Project Angel Food is an amazing organization. It prepares and delivers over 1 million medically tailored meals every year. Uh, KTLA is a media partner with the Los Angeles Blade on uh, several fronts. Uh, so this is a really good thing. If you're in the L.A. area, uh, please tune in to the telethon. And if you can, please contribute. Uh, Project Angel Food uh, would just love you for it. Um, the other thing that's in the news, Cresting, uh, is monkeypox, and it has become a thing. Um, so uh, rather than go through all the nuts and bolts of it, the two-stage problem that we're experiencing now, not just globally, but here in the United States, is that the numbers are increasing and that there aren't enough vaccines. Uh, California Senator uh, Alex Padilla, along with colleagues, uh, sent a letter to Health and Human Sec uh, Services Secretary Javier Becerra, as long as CDC Director uh, Rochelle Walensky, uh, the Senate Democrats are pushing them uh, to release more vaccines and to get a little bit more equity uh, in the distribution, which has been a problem. Yesterday on the House side, uh, Mondaire Jones, who's openly out uh, from New York, and his New York colleague, uh, Jerry Nadler, also uh, put a letter out uh, to both CDC and HHS, trying to get them to um, push hard to get you know this distribution and this monkeypox uh, thing situated. And so, the Los Angeles Blade uh, has been one of the leading publications in LGBT queer media in terms of following this. So, if you go to LosAngelesBlade.com, you can take a look and see some of the other coverage uh, that we've done on this. Um, the story that kind of bothered me the most this week, Rob, uh, comes out of Florida. And, and I know the minute I say Florida and LGBTQ, everybody rolls their eyes. But it, it really is awful. A candidate for a school board position with the Santa Rosa County District, which is uh, up in the panhandle, uh, was at a political event with conservative right-wing types. Um, and she was railing uh, about what she considered, you know, a woke agenda. Um, and then she turned uh, her focus in on uh, two of the right wings, uh, basically, let's beat the dead horse topics, which are transgender youth, transgender youth health care, transgender youth sports, 
and critical race theory, which isn't even taught at the secondary level uh, in any setting in the U.S. This woman who identifies herself, mind you, okay, as a Christian grandmother and mother, and she has so-called Christian values, she says. Her name is Elizabeth Jani Lancaster. And here's what Ms. Lancaster said. It was twofold. The first thing that she was in favor of is a thing that Florida runs called the Guardian Program. Uh, this program was greatly expanded after uh, the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Guardians essentially non-law enforcement armed people who are there to, quote, unquote, abate an active shooting incident. Then she went after CRT, and she said, and I'm quoting the candidate, the children should not be burdened with the woke agenda that is leaving a path of destruction everywhere it goes. And she didn't stop there. And then she said this, talking about gender reassignment and trans kids in general, quote, these doctors that are going along with mutilating these children and prescribing hormone blockers to these kids, in my opinion, they should be hanging from the nearest tree. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. She actually said the doctors who provide gender-affirming care for American trans youth should be lynched. What's really bad about this was Slate writer Alejandra Cabrillo pointed out that not only did the audience scream yell and applaud her, the local Republican Party in that part of Florida has not disavowed those comments, and nor have they backed away from supporting this person as a candidate. Florida, as you know, Rob, and we've had several friends of the show on, including uh, Brandon Wolf, the press secretary for Equality Florida. We've even had the kids on that led the walkouts in Florida. Um, it's become a hotspot for this, and it becomes problematic because as we start to move into the midterms, the Floridas don't say gay law now on the books, anti-trans laws already on the books in Florida and elsewhere. Florida has already essentially banned state money for trans youth care. They banned trans youth in sports. And Ron DeSantis is positioned to become a presumptive nominee for the Republican Party because most of the Republican Party see Donald Trump as kind of damaged goods going into 2024. And if he does get in office and if he does get elected, going to be, yeah, a PC show. So that came out of Florida, and that just really seriously annoyed me. Of course, on the heels of yeah. that was the hearing last night that you and I actually uh, spoke to each other about um, with the uh, January 6th hearing where the House basically laid out Trump's culpability uh, in the whole Sory affair. And then, of course, today there was a rather amusing episode with Missouri United States Senator Josh Hawley, who, by the way, is also definitely not a fan of our community. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of where we're sitting right now as far as that goes. But, uh, yeah, so it's just been one of those situations that uh, I think when you look at it uh, again, um, it, it's so critically important that people understand that, you know, especially with these midterms coming up, you know, you, you've got to get out there and vote. We, we've seen what's happened with the high court overturning Roe uh, in the Dobbs case. Uh, 
marriage equality very likely is in sight, although the U.S. Congress, the House at least, has passed uh, one bill. Uh, It's in front of the Senate. Uh, We need more Senate support to break the filibuster so they can get it to the Senate floor for a vote. So there is tracking on that. But, uh, yeah, good times are not to be had by all right now, Rob. Right. Yeah, and just a couple of comments. One is um, I found the hearings last night to be intense. Um, I really hope everybody watches those. Um, um, and, and quite frankly, they play like, you know, a, a, a movie. I mean, it's, it's um, just the intricacies of, of the, the events and as they unfolded. And the character of Donald Trump, um, uh, you know, I, I want to say as we don't, <clears throat> we haven't known him, um, although it wasn't surprising, but it was still shocking to hear it step by step and um, the the mindset and and really seeing the people around him react um, and remembering that these people were not. Democrats. These people were not people who've been fighting against Donald Trump the whole time. These were his absolute de- diehard loyalists. And to hear them react to him and his craziness, um, the walkaway for me is kind of what you just alluded to, which is not yes known, which is whether the Republican Party will finally reject him, because there is so much of that party that still holds on to him. Um, it, it is, it is the most bizarre thing I've ever encountered in my whole life is this obstinate part of the country that is just blind to principles that I've always grown up as thinking as being the America, um, and the American dream and the American ideal. Um, and, um, yeah, so a lot of walkways from that. Um, Also comments on the bill in front of Congress. Um, The thing that I hope people realize is this is an overturning of DOMA. This is um, overturning a law that passed in Bill Clinton's administration, which said that any state does not have to recognize another state performing same-sex marriage. If that gets overturned, that isn't exactly the same as saying every state has to perform same-sex marriage, but what the ramifications would be is that if you're in a state that refuses to, that you can go to another state and come back, and you will, in fact, be as legally married as anybody else. So it would be a huge, huge protection, um, even if it's not all the way over the finish line. Um, Anyway, end end of that commentary. Um, I do want to move on to our guests, um, and the film that we're talking about is Stay On Board, The Leo Baker Story, and uh, with that, I'd like to uh, welcome both Alex and um, Nicola to the show. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you. It's Alex Schmitter and Nicola Marsh here. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you guys on. Nicola, I want to start with you as the director uh, of the piece and your history of really film that observes people. Um, what, what inspired you about 
getting on board with the, the Leo Baker story? That it's really nice to be able, thank you for having me. Um, it's really nice to be able to talk about um, highfalutin um, intricacies of gender and prejudice in the sexy wrapper of skateboarding and, and, um, and sports. And I think that to me was like, here was an opportunity to really talk about what it's like to be trans in America without making that the headline of a, of a documentary. Because I, I feel like you want to just have a wide net and make it a really easy access point for people. Um, and you also want to make it like a fun story and not sort of too didactic and talking heads and like, this is what it's like. Uh, and so Leo is a very dynamic person. Skateboarding is obviously a very dynamic sport. And then it was the first time it was going to be in the Olympics. So it's like, you know, it's a real um, trifecta of um, reasons to watch. Uh, and so that to me was, I also want to give credit to my co-director, Retta, and the documentary is his idea. He's a very successful photographer, skate photographer, um, and he had been friends with Leo for years and years and years and just could see that this, was going to be, I mean, I don't think any of us realized way back six years ago where we would be now and this sort of tension around, um, around being trans in America. I mean, I don't think we'd really understood that when we started. And so it's become more and more relevant as we were go into the making. Yeah, that seems to be something that is sort of weaved in the film itself and the whole adventure of the film being made and, and coming to fruition is in every aspect there's been an involvement. I mean, my biggest question when I was watching the film was it's such a, a poignant story throughout the film, but how did you know that story would be evolving in that way when you went to make it? In other words, it's not a, it's not a scripted film yeah. that you could work out the plot. It, the plot happened in front of you. Well, so like when I was a when I was a kid, you know, I spent a lot of time reading sociology about audience crisis management by this guy Irving Goffman in the sixties. And as a young lesbian, I was like, could totally relate to the idea of having a crisis of like when my parents and my gay friends and my straight friends would all be in the same room. How? I would, my, the inside of me would just dissolve in that moment because I couldn't hold all these identities I was, I was placating to each crowd, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And That's all I know what you mean. When we, yeah, of course you know what I mean, right. Uh, and when I met Leo, Leo was going to the Olympics. All his friends knew him as Lee and he, or his close friends, and all his skater colleagues and not close friends knew him as, as somebody else and she. And you know, we'd be in one space, and Leo was just like, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll just, I'll just do this. I'll do these two people, and I'm going to go train for the Olympics and have an event in, I mean, their schedule was like, you're going to be in Japan on Wednesday, and on Friday, you're going to be skating in China, and it's a, you know, 10-hour bus ride. Like, I mean, just crazy, crazy schedule, and I was like, that, I cannot wait to see somebody pull that off, because that seems, I couldn't do it, uh, and so we just sort of became his sounding board and mirror and and we made a dot together and went on the journey with him. So I'm going to interpolate from that that you had no idea when you started what 
where the film would end up in terms of what it did in its, its composition now. I mean, I think in our hopes, you know, in our cheesy mainstream filmmaker hopes, we're like, Leo's going to win a gold medal at the Olympics and that will be our ending. <laughs> and then, you know, not to ruin the doc for people. By the way, it doesn't come out until August 11th on Netflix. So everybody has a second to forget what I'm just about to say. Um, oh. But sort of three quarters through our shooting window, Leo was like, I'm not going to go to the Olympics. Fuck it. I'm not doing it. And we were like, oh, God, oh, that was supposed to be our ending. What do you mean? But, but that decision ended up being the movie. Like that moment to say you're going to be an advocate for yourself, even if everybody around you is telling you to do something else, that is what the movie's about, is standing up for yourself in the face of, like, other people saying, I think this would be better for you, actually. And honestly, I, I think that does make this film stand out as a, a truly unique experience. Um, you're watching it and it's incredibly personal. And I think it's much more impactful than what, you know, a typical, you know, gee, I'm going in an underdog sport. We're getting the spotlight. I want a medal type of movie would have been. Um, and I, I really was amazed at what you captured. Um, in this I mean, film. It, it, you probably don't, don't, didn't watch the film that closely, but there's this moment where we're in Leo's apartment and it's like the sun's coming through the window and, and he's, he's on a FaceTime with Cher and I'm filming the screen of his computer and he says off camera, oh Cher, I just quit the Olympics and my camera like whips around to him and I'm like, that's how you're going to tell us? That in, the, in here? You know, like it really <laughs> was sort of happening in front of us and... You know, we couldn't we didn't live in his house, so we couldn't be there for every single conversation. But it really was something that he is and was living his life and exploring how to be himself in a very dynamic situation that was constantly changing for him. No, and I did catch those moments because that's what that those actually intrigued me more than other aspects of the you know setting up the story and all that because it was. It was those moments that, that, you know, you're actually filming this heartbeat of this life in front of the camera. And um, it, it literally was my question going through the film is, how did she capture that? It, you know, it's sort of like, how did she know this was going to happen in front of the camera? And obviously, you caught things and you, you edited didn't. it. I it, didn't. It's just brilliant. <laughs> I, know. I mean, I think well, we, also an Alex, we won't tell anybody. We'll say you knew it was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think Alex can speak to this too, but like what I really like about the film is because it's not a retrospective, it's sort of the clumsiness of what life looks like when you have to be brave. Like nobody does decisions and says, I know this is the best thing to do and I'm 100% confident it's the right thing to do. Like when you make those big life decisions, you're always a tiny bit uncertain and, and that's life. And that's what you see in the dock. But, but we didn't want Leo to seem like he wasn't sure. He was just tentative. You know, it was his first trying to, to be a speaker representative for himself and really show up for himself. But that is a very tender process. You know, it's not clean. No, and if I could it's, add something. It's, it's real. Yeah. Good. Yeah, and if I could add something quickly to that, you know, we, we spoke about this at the Q&A last night at the world premiere at Outfest, but 
um, you know, Leo is undergoing and contending with such big personal things in his life. And so part of the role for us as documentary filmmakers is to, you know, be those reflections. And so you're cutting out there. It's going to play out in a big way on screen um, because, again, these are very personal and private moments. And so how do we filter those in a way that is going to be authentic to who he is and what he's going through while also protecting um, and respecting, you know, this very extremely vulnerable and emotional journey that's going to be communicated and exported to a global audience. And so that was really something that was challenging in the creative process, but why I think it's it's amazing how Nicola and Retta and Sasha, our brilliant editor, and I um, really have difficult decisions um, about all of these things that we're talking about. No, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's um, and that is one of the things you walk away from the film and, and, you know, and and Nicola, I saw it in in other pieces of your work as well. Is is it's it's the amazement of, of capturing what you capture. I mean, it's it's that it's not just thank you seeing what's there, but it's also the fact that we wouldn't see this, and you don't see this. I mean, it's like for most people who don't understand the transgender experience this film is wonderful in that you are right there feeling it every step of the way. And to your point, it's not clean. It's not like, you know, coming off of some talking sheet of, you know, here are the ABCs of what it means to be transgender. It's like a really organic living experience um, that, that you go through. Um, Alex, I want to pivot to you. What, how did you get involved in, um, the the Leo Baker story and um, you know what what are your feelings about it? I'd actually love for Nicola to answer that question if she might. Yes, I totally can. I'd love to talk about Alex. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't know how honest I should be, but I'm just going to go for real honesty because I don't really have another mode. Um, so I think there is some misunderstanding within the gay community that being gay and trans is sort of equally the same thing and sort of that transness can sort of be co-opted into gayness and that as a gay woman, I would totally understand what it's like to be trans. And I thought that, I really did. I didn't understand that my cisness would um, create a, a, a prejudice that I wouldn't be aware of, you know, that a, a lens through which I was seeing and understanding what was happening that was more about me and less about Leo. And as we mm-hmm. were editing, it became clear that that was really showing up in the dock. And we got some feedback that was, you know, not good, you know. Uh, and, you know, we were doing a little bit too much of, you know, before and after and it, it, in ways that now I'm, I cringe at myself. I really am embarrassed about the um, subconscious behavior that I was, you know, the way I was framing Leo uh, so that you could see the change in his body or things like that. Just I really um, cringe at it. Anyway, and I realized, and my co-director, Red, and I realized that we needed 
real help. And getting Leo to be our educator was not appropriate. You know, it just wasn't right. okay. We needed, you know, um, somebody who was going to push back against us. And we found Alex to be the most graceful person at telling you that your idea sucks. Uh, and just being very um, gentle but honest. And there were some really um, difficult conversations to be had that I'm sure that, that, I mean, I don't know what your background is, but I'm sure you've had those conversations with people who are like, I had a very, very difficult conversation about homophobia with a straight friend of mine, and we're closer for it. But I had to be like, look, the way you're framing this isn't okay. But like, it's hard to have that conversation and it involves so much trust that the other person isn't just going to storm out of the room. And so Alex really helped me um, and embraced me. And, and, and we became a collaboration team uh, sort of behind the scenes to really craft the story that would speak more authentically to Leah's experience. And if I, I, I think that's brilliant. Think. Yeah. Oh, Alex, do you Thank want to you. talk about you? That's well, that's <laughs> that's unusual. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, not not really, but I do want to say that, that you know this kind of collaboration can only occur when everyone involved is committed and invested in that kind of process. And so, working with Nicola and Retta, um, and we brought on Sasha, our brilliant editor to do this kind of work, um, you know, again, as Nicholas shared, it requires an immense amount of trust. And ultimately, the reason why I came on board and joined was because I saw what Nicola and Retta wanted to do, what kind of story they wanted to tell, how they wanted to respect and revere this kind of courage that Leo embodies and basically saying, you know, I'm going to choose myself above the Olympics. Um, and so in seeing what their vision was, I wanted to help bring that forward um, by thinking just creatively about how we could do that in a way that would respect Leo and the trans community and approach the story with a nuanced and sensitive awareness of how the film is going to enter into a world that is extremely hostile and just not completely understanding of trans people and of our experiences. And so I'm so grateful um, for this journey that we've gone on so far together. And I know and hope that it will continue um, because the film will go out into the world and audiences will receive it in all sorts of ways. And that will evolve how we work together. But I am so grateful and want to acknowledge the kind of openness um, that it requires for someone to say things that are uncomfortable and to receive those things and take them and transform their worldviews, which is what Nicola and Retta have done in such a beautiful and amazing way. And I think, you know, it's a reflection of the evolution we see Leo go through, that all of us are constantly in flux and growing and changing and moving and making mistakes and being resilient. And so I'm just, I'm grateful. And I think what they captured with Leo is a result of that kind of trust and relationship that was built. It's, you can't manufacture. No, Let it, me hop it in is. For a second, and, Rob. Go ahead. If you, if you don't mind. Let me hop in for no, a second. Now it's just at you. Um, 
it's been my experience that I've been a trans ally for the better part of 37 years. I have young trans uh, folks that I currently mentor. Um, so putting it and framing this against the context of the theme of the film itself, let me ask you this. For anyone watching the film, and, and this goes to the director if she'd like to answer this, but for you or anyone else looking at the film or how it was put together, would you say that there would be a generational difference in not only understanding but acceptance of the context of the film? Because it's been my experience over the last probably close to 15 years now with the younger generation, and by that I quite frankly mean people that are under the age of 35 and particularly our Gen Zers, that they're a little bit more open and receptive and fluid and flexible in their thought processes than the older generations are. That being the case, how much of an impact do you think it'll make upon people that actually see the film and or discuss it and or even think about it? Is an amazing question, and I I hope that Nicola will also respond. Um, I will share first that I, I absolutely see there being a generational divide, um, and part of that is just demographic data that we know. So about like 20% of Gen Z identify as part of the LGBTQ community, um, and that number is growing, and so that means that communities that young people are growing up with are inherently more queer. They have friends, they have friends' friends, they're part of families, and so there's a personal familiarity that's happening with younger generations that's simply not happening with older generations at the same rate. And unfortunately, because of the misrepresentation that trans people have been subjected to for over 100 years, which is shown in in another documentary that I produced, which is also on Netflix, called Disclosure, most people are made aware and educated about who trans people are from really defamatory and derogatory stories that purport to know or reflect who we are, which are, are mostly very inaccurate. And so I do think the film will reach different people in different ways. However, I think the brilliance of what Nicola and Retta really did and prioritized, and I hope she'll speak to this, is really centering in on Leo. This is his story. He's not a representative of a community. He's a human being that is going through a lot of struggle that aren't all related to him being trans, by the way. There's a lot of life that's being lived in this very – in this very big moment in his life. And I think that makes his story relatable. So many of the things that he's going through are not specific to being a trans person. Being specific to being a person in the world and having to contend with expectations of who you need to be. So I would love for Nicola to weigh in also about, you know, what she sees and hopes for audiences. But I definitely think that there's an audience for this film for anyone and everyone, and yet they're going to approach it and come to it in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Reed, go ahead. Do you want to ask me a question or do you want me to answer that question? Oh, no, no. I, was, I, was, I wanted to turn to you to answer that question. I mean, I think that, that being trans and being gay in many ways is uh, uh, the 
placebo is um, it's almost like a Rorschach test, you know, in terms of, you know, a trans person can be read by somebody, one person is like, oh, that's a trans woman by somebody else. Oh, that's definitely not a trans woman. Oh, that, you know what I mean? Like people will see that person as how much experience they themselves have with um, gender non-conforming people and some people don't even know what the word cis means i mean they they there is such a spectrum of experience knowledge and interaction that i think there's going to be a really wide gamut of experience in terms of how you interact with this film um and i think you know that came a lot up in the making where it's like um you know as leo sort of transitions through the film what gender is he being perceived as? And that really, there isn't really an answer to that because that depends on who's doing the perception, if you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that um, that we decided that, that none of that really mattered. What mattered was all human beings understand what pain is. All human beings understand what happiness is, you hope. Uh, and as Alex said, just sort of lean into the tragedy and triumph of what's going on in his life and not have too many people speaking about broader issues, but really just him talking about, this is really difficult with my mom. This makes my work really hard. My relationship, I feel uncertain, you know. Uh, and maybe some of that centered around trans issues, but maybe some of that just centered around change or travel or what, all, all the things. And so... It, it is really hard to know how somebody in rural Australia is going to receive this film compared to somebody in, like, you know, West Hollywood. It's really hard. Yeah, it's, and I think there is, I mean, there, I think there's a generational divide, but I don't think it is just one of um, one generation being more receptive than the other, um, having run some of this gamut um, there weren't these definitions back in the day. I mean, it, the, mm-hmm. it was the perception of somebody who is, who is gender fluid, even the gender fluid person felt they had very few options of who they could be because there weren't, there weren't the trailblazers, there weren't examples, there weren't um, even options um, necessarily well, available. Uh, and if I could speak to that briefly, I mean, part of yeah. that, is because and and trans people have existed across culture and through history and a lot of those traditions of gender nonconformity um, and not living within a gender binary system have either been punished like criminally punished in different cultures um, and or erased um, so we don't know many of the stories of trans and gender diverse people um, and. I think it's a really important piece of this to understand that in, historically, in order to medically transition, for someone to be themselves, they had to go through a medical gatekeeping system if they did want to pursue mm-hmm. transition. And part of the guarantee of you getting that, that medically necessary life-saving health care was you had to promise people you would assimilate. You would never talk about you being trans ever again. And so that, that's what led to this isolation of community and not having a common language of understanding this experience of gender. And that is why we are in this moment of finally some awareness and some common language to understand 
shared experiences in this way. So I, I hear what you're saying about the, the language not being there. However, it, 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 the language did not exist, but the experience has always existed, and it's just that society and culture had these expectations. And in order to survive and live, you had to basically promise that you would disappear. Right. And no, that was actually where I was going, is that the, the ignorance that, that existed, the people were there. In fact, I know the people who were there. And, but they themselves, because of that ignorance, they were also oppressed by that ignorance of not knowing where they could go to self-actualize. And we have evolved since then, and a lot of the younger people who are coming along have benefited from that education of, of that reality. And so that has become to them the norm. I have two 19-year-old sons, and um, when they were in high school, I asked them about trans friends that they had, and they, they acknowledged, oh, yeah, you know, I've got this friend is trans and that friend is trans. And I would, you know, being this protected gay dad was like, you know, how are they doing? Is everything okay? And they would look at me like, what the hell is your problem? They're fine. It's like I was asking about somebody who had red hair and concerned. And, you know, it was like, you know, because I knew what that, that the horrendous oppression that trans folks that I, my friends and my intimates had gone through and was projecting that forward. My sons, that's not their experience. They are coming from a place where, that is a normal expression, and which is is a good thing. So it's yeah, just, and you know that that they're. Go ahead, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say that, um, and ignorance, a very wide problem that we're facing. But I think that's why in the film. Um, when we see Leo and the life-saving nature of skateboarding for him as finding community and his mom's support and all of these different facets of community that he either forms for himself or form around him, it's so powerful to see because I do believe genuinely that these support systems exist uh, more greatly than they're represented in stories. Um, they, that may look all sorts of different ways, but I think that's one of the pieces that I so love in the film is that we see Mel and Leo's relationship and the mundane, beautiful moments that they share. Um, and with um, Donna, you know, she messes up pronouns, and you can still see that she has so much love for her son, and that she's gone through her own struggles. And then, of course, skateboarding, which, you know, we can bring out into the wider world. Like, there's so much legislation that's being introduced to ban young trans kids from just playing sports with their friends and also deny them life-saving medical care. And in the film, through Leo's personal experience, you see how these things affect a real human being and that they also affect a greater community. And hopefully through people getting to know who Leo is through the film, which will be across the world, they will then relate and be moved to hopefully have empathy towards other people who are not living the same experience, but having their own version, as Leo likes to say. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true and poignant about the film, which is really 
speaking as much to the quality of what you guys have put together as it is to the principle of um, that each of these stories, each story of a person who is on a transgender journey is a unique story. It's a unique person. And it isn't, there isn't a rule book and a checklist that any, any one person should be checking off. I mean, and when the story is told in a way that is fully dimensional, you, you stop thinking about the checklist. Um, Alex, I wanted to pivot a little bit to a past experience of yours, which is producing the Hulu documentary, Changing the Game. Because I, I found that to be very similar in principle to this, you know, and the, the people whose stories were told in that. Um, can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, very different experiences because with Changing the Game, I had I'd been working on that film um, since about 2016, 2017. And so the world, as you and Nicola were sharing, is, is very different than it was then. So I've been on a long journey with that film. And unfortunately, we did start anticipating that the world would get very severe and uh, frightening for trans youth because of the visibility that we saw coming with the young athletes who were in that film. Um, and certainly there are similarities um, between the two films, but I do think that they are very different. Um, changing mm -hmm. the game had to approach things in a very different way for the time that it came out. So Changing the Game came out, premiered in 2019 at Tribeca Film Festival, and then in 2021 on Hulu. And even within that time period, we were living in a very different moment that people did need to hear, and still do, from medical experts, from people who are um, creating regulations and policies and bodies, and especially around young trans youth in non-professional, non-elite athletics. We have now come to a place in our culture and society where the, those things of elite and professional sports is now being conflated with just, like, kids playing sports with their friends. And so I love that this film is about Leo and the high-stakes nature of what do you do when you're going to the Olympics and you have to choose between yourself and this sport you love and showing people the immense amount of thought and processing that you have to do. And, and I think, you know, a thematic that comes through all this is that no one should have to sacrifice themselves to do and be who they are. Um, but I, I think they're very different in that changing the game had to speak to a broader cultural moment, whereas um, the Leo Baker story is really about him and his moment. What is he going through? And, and um, you know, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see how the film um, plays uh, and hopefully changes hearts and minds across the world and how people understand Leo and therefore a broader community. Right. Yeah. No, the, the, and uh, I guess what I was wondering with the, the people that you represented in changing the game how their stories were also unique people, not not some rule book. Um, although, to the point that was made earlier, a lot of the stories that are told about um, transgender people that are used as scary stories 
are, to my mind, and, and everyone I've ever encountered, were completely fictional. In other words, the, the, there was no actual transgender person who existed in these fables of of threat. Um, yeah, but, uh, I, that I, I agree with you. For, I think Nicola actually would be great to weigh in here as well because I also. reduced down to body parts and physicality and a very specific um, centralization or concentration on gender identity and that physical transformation, which gets away from the, the holistic human experience and lived reality for trans people. It basically just like we are a site of curiosity and fixation versus able to be fully dimensional human beings, and unfortunately, documentary has not uh, treated us historically um, as full people. And so, you know, it's it's always interesting to work in documentary and know that, like, whatever story you're telling and creating doesn't just live on its own. It lives in a collection and a history and a culture that it arrives in and either builds upon a framework of understanding or starts to break it down. And I think and hope that Leo's story can be one of those that starts to break down and, and um, expand people's understanding and awareness of, of the you know, many different ways to be trans and that there's life lived in between and much deeper than that physicality. And I'd love for Nicola to share if, if she has any thoughts on that too. Um, Sure. Um, I think that, uh, look, I can just talk about, I think it's safer for me to just talk about the filmmaking. So I just don't get lost on down some irrelevant rabbit hole about some theory I've come up with (laughs) that may or may not be, be very tangential. But I think what we try to do is to sort of the ethos that we set down and then it was like, well, how do you actually do that in a documentary is to tell the story from the inside out, not from the outside in, if you know what I mean, to not look at Leo from the outside and have that be signifiers of where his journey is. But like, how do you tell a story about something going on in somebody's head? I mean, that's like the age old problem with storytelling since the beginning of time. I mean, I think it's easiest to do in a book. Um, but especially in documentary where you're like, the ho- it's literally an observational documentary. You know, you're observing somebody and how do you not make them feel like a, um, a curiosity or that you're studying them? Because that sometimes is the nature of fly on the wall observational documentaries. And so the tack that we took, aside from just sort of immersing ourselves in Leah's psyche, <laughs> which means we became friends with him uh, or Rada was already very close with friends with him, but like really partner with him, not make him a subject, make him her, our co-partner, but also to try and create real sense of subjectivity in some of the scenes. And I don't know how well you remember the documentary, but there's this moment at the London Olympics where Leo's at the Olympics and they're using his dead name and the wrong gender and it's such a head fuck for him. Like he just can't, it's like he's mm-hmm. at the most elite level of the sport. It's so much pressure. He has to qualify. He's going to go to Tokyo. The pandemic hasn't happened yet. We're like months away and he can't handle it. And his mom's there, you know, it's just like, there were just like so many people are there and it's a stadium full of people, you know, British people, we're in London. Um, and it's like, he's on a jumbotron and it's like, 
you know, wrong name, wrong gender. And so we used a lot of sound design. We used some graphics. We tried to create a really sort of requiem for a dream subjectivity about that scene that felt unpleasant and scary, even though if you just watch the raw tape, it just looks like somebody skating at a, at a skateboarding event. But, but we try to have the audience experience what Leo was going through in that moment. And, and that's sort of the project of the film, but that's at, it, at its most extreme, right? It was to really right. distill the subjective experience, not the objective experience. So I have a, I have a behind-the-scenes question for you. Um, one of the things I find fascinating, and I know a lot of filmmakers have this hard choice to do, is to have footage that they love, but for whatever reason, it doesn't make it into the final cut. Um, what scenes come to mind for you that you did and what was Leo experiencing that you didn't actually get into the film? I mean, I can think of one that um, Leo um, doing tea and his tentativeness around the first time he did it and like I'm literally having to like look up the instructions to figure out how to do it you know we took it out because it wasn't really relevant to the story it wasn't you know it was a big moment for him but it was so private and sort of it just felt um and that around that issue is, is such a sort of controversial issue anyway and it did feel sort of so biological somehow and then you coupled it with his sort of you know it's a really emotional threshold for him and I think for some transphobic audiences they could have read the emotion as just hard ambivalence maybe and mm-hmm. and and that wasn't what it was it's just like that everybody's ambivalent when they make big life decisions when you know you're like just about to get married, you get teary because you know you're like, and you, you know, like, oh my God, we're pregnant, whatever the thing is, you know, like, it's sort of, um, and so we just took it out. But it was, for me, it was a really, such a, for me, it reflected what bravery it takes to be an advocate for yourself and to be true to yourself. Like, it's, it's not so fucking obvious when you're at the crossroads. You know, it's not like, oh, mm-hmm. it's so obvious, I should just do this, and I should dump that person and take this job and do this and blah, blah, blah. It's not obvious. And then retrospectively, you package it, and then you tell other people about it, and then it seems really obvious. And it's like, oh, well, that's how you got success. And then, you know, younger people look at you and go, I don't understand. I don't have the map. It seems like you had the map. But Leo didn't have the map, but he did it anyway, and that's the courage part. But it was just too private, really. Oh, that that's intense, and that that and and totally, I, I totally get it. Um, yeah, that's that's huge. Um, well, thank you both for being on very very much. I want to thank you right up front. Um, and what, just housekeeping: when is that the show available um, to be viewed? It's going to come out on Netflix, you know, globally on August 11th. And I think. You know, Netflix tends to not really do a lot of promotion until like a week before so that people don't hear about it and forget about it. So hopefully right. um, we'll be bu- bugging you a whole bunch right before, uh, before August 11th. 
<laughs> Excellent. And um, in the last three minutes, what did we not ask that you sh- we should have asked? Nothing for me, Alex. Oh, this this interview was so wonderful. Thank you so much for the thoughtful questions. I think yeah. we covered so from a filmmaking angle, from the cultural context to Leo. So just thank you for the the thought in watching the film. Uh, uh, the the pleasure uh, of that is all mine. And again, one of I want to reemphasize one of the magical things about the film is that this is the Leo Baker story. This isn't the the piece on a transgender experience. It isn't commentary on transgender people in sports. It isn't any of that. It is you walk through in the shoes with another person, their human experience. And much of that experience, um, to Nicola's point, is extremely brave. And that is is what I've told with all my transgender friends and associates is I always hold them up as heroes and, and being extremely brave because we all are looking to be our authentic selves. And um, from what I've seen, people who, who that authentic self is a transgender experience, um, it is harder and fought against, and as we're seeing in Florida, persecuted in a way that the rest of our authentic journeys are not. Um, and so I, I do see that as a true branch of heroism, which is a necessity. It's not like you have a choice. You have to be you, and that is the path. And I, and I want to add to that, I think part of the hope, um, and at least in my storytelling work, is to one day make it so that it isn't an act of bravery or courage to be yourself. It should not, it should not be this way. We should be able to live freely and safely as ourselves, and um, that will make the world better for everyone. Well, I know we don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to hop in here for a second. Alex? You have an open invitation from me as the executive editor of the Los Angeles Blade, which is a national publication, to write an op-ed along that very theme anytime you want. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. I may take you up on that after we get through our premiere. (laughs) (laughs) A little busy right now. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you both for being on. It's been a real pleasure. Um, And for those of you listening, um, you know, check out the documentary on Netflix. Stay on board the Leo Baker story. Um, it is a must-see and it is a must-talk about. Um, so share it, share it widely. Um, thank you for Brody Levesque for all he does and read the Los Angeles Blade magazine. You won't be sorry, and you really need to get on their mailing list so that you get all the news stories sent to you directly. They are fully researched on their own. They're not regurgitating other people's stuff. They are original. Um, And for us at Rated LGBT Radio, we will be back again next week with an absolutely astounding, fantastic show. I have no idea what it is, but I guarantee that all those adjectives will apply. And um, for that, that's it for this installment. Um, Again, tell your friends to subscribe, and we will see you again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.